In the early decades of the 20th century, the Los Angeles Police Department was known as one of the most corrupt in the nation. Cops there operated at the behest of underworld mobsters, of political bosses, and of the Chamber of Commerce, who used the force to break up unions and other so-called subversive organizations. The city really did look like something out of a noir film. In the four years between 1919 and 1923, eight police chiefs came and went, all taken down by scandals. It was a pattern that continued into the 1940s. But in 1950, a new police chief came to power, and he was determined to clean the place up. Our producer, Nina Ernest, has the story. Each week at this point in our program, On the Beat, we bring to our microphone a special guest. Tonight, we are especially proud to present the new chief executive of the Los Angeles Police Department, Chief of Police William H. Parker. He was an intimidating, cold SOB. This is John Bunton, who wrote a biography of Parker. Consider this. One of Parker's former speechwriters, Gene Roddenberry, went on to create a little show called Star Trek. And it turns out that steely Dr. Spock is, in part, based on Parker. But envision a Spock who was also an alcoholic. Cerebral, cold, intense, formidable. Vulcan tendencies aside, Parker was seen as an upstanding cop. He was a war hero and veteran officer who developed the department's first Bureau of Internal Affairs, investigating all manner of police misconduct. He had the reputation of being incorruptible. This is historian Edward Escobar. And of having very precise ideas of how policing should work. And those precise ideas were around the issue of professionalism. Police professionalism didn't begin with Parker, but he was a standout warrior for the cause. Beginning in the 1920s, reformers came to believe that the way to root out corrupt cops was to treat policing like a profession, as something respectable. So in Parker's mind, fighting crime required just as much expertise as becoming a lawyer or a doctor. And Parker and the police professionalism movement believed that they needed to be the sole arbiters of who became a police officer and who should discipline police officers if they stepped out of bounds. To stop corruption in the force, Parker had to make sure that cops, and cops alone, controlled the department. But there's more to the story of professionalism and the LAPD than just autonomy. One of the, the uh, ideas of being a professional, say, now let's turn to medicine for a second, is that you have to have a theory of what causes illness, what causes disease. Well, in the same way, police had to have an idea of what causes crime and then what they should be doing to, to, to fight crime. And in L.A., that meant focusing their often violent crime-fighting efforts on the city's Mexican-American community. Theories about minorities being prone to criminality still influenced police behavior. By the time Parker took control, the LAPD's tactics in minority neighborhoods had led to tensions between the cops and the people they policed. Those tactics set the scene for what would become a real threat to Parker's prized autonomy. It was Christmas Eve, 1951. That night, two officers were called to the showboat bar on report of underage drinking. 
So these two officers show up. There are seven people there. The officers ask for some ID. Five of the seven men were Latinos. Two were Anglos. No one's a minor, but instead of leaving the scene, the police officers tell uh, several of the guys to disperse. Police officers brutally tried to throw them out of the bar. A fight ensued. The seven young men overpowered the police officers and left the scene. And then in the middle of the night, the police came for them. You know, 4 a.m. in the morning, people started being dragged out of their beds. That's when six of the young men were taken into custody at the LAPD Central Division, where L.A.'s finest were having a Christmas party. Now, a rumor had spread within the department that the police officers had been badly beaten and that one of them had actually lost a night. That wasn't true. But true or not, the cops wanted revenge. Fueled by anger and copious amounts of alcohol, things got ugly really fast. Remember the scene from L.A. Confidential? Did that actually happen? This is for ours, Poncho. It's estimated that around 50 officers took turns severely beating these young men in their cells. What are you looking at? What are you looking at? You would think that in a professional police department that when something like that occurred, William H. Parker would know about it immediately and start an investigation of what would happen and then would go in and discipline uh, the officers for such a breach of discipline. That did not happen. Instead, the public didn't hear about the case until March, when the young men went to trial and told their side of the story. The press dubbed the incident Bloody Christmas. Rumors spread that the mayor would ask for Parker's resignation, and the chief suddenly found his department under the scrutiny of a grand jury investigation. Mexican-American groups and others who had long suffered at the hands of the cops fought to bring the officers and Parker to justice. Critics wanted more civilian oversight of the force, and opponents wanted to revoke the section of the city charter that gave the department independence and personnel issues. What Bloody Christmas posed was this problem of brutality and accountability. You know, you have a police chief who wants to free the police department from corruption. Look at Los Angeles' history. That's understandable. But at what point do you also free the department from accountability? Parker fought this threat to autonomy any way he could. He stonewalled the grand jury. He also launched a PR campaign pushing the idea that the police were the thin blue line protecting civilized society from anarchy. And on top of that, Parker had the upper hand in the court of public opinion, thanks in part to this. The wildly popular radio-turned-television show Dragnet started long before Parker took the helm of the LAPD. But he understood the value of good publicity and maintained a very close working relationship with the show. Listen closely, and you'll catch Parker's name in the credits. Technical advice comes from the office of Chief of Police W.H. Parker, Los Angeles Police Department. At the same time, the newspapers were putting out this image of the LAPD as a rampaging, brutal, unaccountable organization. You know, people were seeing a very different image of the LAPD. The LAPD as ultra-efficient bureaucratic machine. 
And, you know, that was a vision that the population of Los Angeles in general was happy to, you know, sign off on. In the end, eight officers were indicted for using excessive force, and five were convicted. That was unprecedented in L.A. But Parker kept his job, and no structural changes were made to the police department's autonomous status. Parker tightened his grip on the department, and under his leadership, the LAPD would go on to become a model professional police force. But now, no one was policing that professional force. And Escobar says that left the city's minority communities with very few options in the face of continued mistreatment. The outcomes were the Watts riots of 1965. You have an ongoing simmering conflict between the LAPD and the Black and Mexican-American communities throughout the next decades, culminating, if you will, with the Rodney King beating of the early 1990s and the subsequent riots. This became sort of a cancer that consumed the department from the inside out. It wasn't until the 1999 Rampart scandal, involving brutality and the framing of suspects, that authorities said enough was enough. After 50 years, it was time to protect this most professional of organizations from its own criminal elements. Nina Ernest is one of our producers. Helping her tell that story was John Bunton and Edward Escobar. Bunton is the author of L.A. Noir, The Struggle for the Soul of America's Most Seductive City. Escobar is an historian at Arizona State University. We'll post his article about Bloody Christmas at backstoryradio.org. 